Coming up on Daily in Christ, while Satan's plan to keep us away from God is devious by distracting us with doing to be like God, God's reality for the new order of our being is infinitely better than do. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast. I'm Mark Van Oos. Well, today is the last part in our five-part series called Exposing Satan's Master Scheme. And that master scheme is to be like God without God by having us distracted with do to be like God. Satan's number one goal is to keep us away from God at all costs. By away from God, here's what we mean. God is in the believer. Satan can never change that. However, Satan can tempt us into living lives as if we are separate from God, as independent beings, instead of as those who really need God. Uh, He can tempt us into living lives with our face turned away from God instead of toward him. And that face turned away from God is what Adam and Eve did when they bought the lie of do to become like God. And they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and sinned and fell and hid themselves from God. Satan's number one scheme, his number one tactic to achieve his goal of keeping us away from God is to get us to think that we become like God because of what we do. And this ultimately becomes the great lie, I will make myself like the Most High. That's what Satan said when he was Lucifer, the high archangel of God. And that's recorded in Isaiah 14, verse 14. That ultimately comes out, the idea of, I will make myself like the Most High. It comes out as, I can be like God without God. This is the great do-to-be-like-God deception. And as I've said in previous podcasts, previous episodes, that uh, this do-to-be-like-God is all over the church. Uh, For instance, we hear uh, about doing to be more Christ-like, or maybe don't do this, you shouldn't do this, it's not Christ-like, or you should do this, it's more Christ-like. That's a manifestation of the lie, do to be like God. Or how about the big thing that was popular in the church about 10 years ago, WWJD, what would Jesus do? Last time we talked about that and how that is another variant of the lie. When Jesus himself, what did Jesus do? He said he did what his father was doing, John 5, 19. You know, if you don't think you have a problem with this do to be like God, then you are deceived. One thing that's wily about deception, those who are deceived don't know they're deceived. Otherwise, they wouldn't be deceived. Deception by its nature is deceptive. People who are under deception are deceived. They think that something is true when it's not true. 
And so you might be hearing what we've been saying throughout this series and going, well, I don't think I've got a problem with that. Well, guess what? You're a member of the human race and Satan, one way or another, is getting each of us to buy the lie that we need to be focused on doing to be more like Christ. And in so doing that, he keeps us away from God. Now, we had mentioned in an earlier episode that Jesus himself faced the same satanic strategy of do to be like God. We see that in Luke chapter 4, where Satan challenged Jesus with the, if you are the Son of God, do. And Jesus countered that great lie of do to be like God with the stunning statement found in John fifteen nineteen, where he says, most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do for whatever he does, the father, the son also does in like manner. Did you hear what Jesus said? He said, the son can do nothing of himself. Dear believer, who are you to think that you can do anything of yourself when the Lord Jesus could do nothing. The great secret of his being was not being based on his do, but his humanity was based on what the Father does. And then last time in this series, part four, we were talking about being based not on doing, but on union with God. And remember, union speaks of oneness that we have with God. And Jesus was all over this in his prayer to the Father in John chapter 17, where Jesus equated oneness with the Father as being the Father in Jesus and Jesus being in the Father. So when he spoke about his oneness with the Father in verse 21 of John 17, he said, this is the result of the Father in me and I in the Father. And our oneness with God flows directly out of that. Jesus in us. So oneness, our oneness with God equals Jesus in us and we in Jesus. And of course, Jesus said that he is one with the Father. Uh, That's in verse 23. This being not based on what we do, but based on our union or oneness with God is the basis of our oneness with others. So the reality of our oneness with God being Jesus in us and we in Jesus, I in Jesus, is the basis of my oneness with my brothers and sisters in Christ. It's very important to clarify something here. We'll hear teaching in the church today when it gets around this, and it rarely does, but when it does, they kind of teach it as being positional truth. That's not true. There's no such thing as positional truth. Uh, The truth that the Lord Jesus is speaking about, and this is brought out in other places, particularly the writings of Paul, speaks not of position, but reality and actuality. We are one in him. He is in us and we are in him. And this so close with God, this oneness is what Jesus 
calls one, being one with God, being one with one another. Last time we ended by talking about the fact that we are a vessel that contains Christ. I use the example of tea. I have tea in a cup. The tea, or rather the cup, is not the tea. The whole point of the cup is really not the cup, but the what it contains. The cup is a vessel of the liquid. And so we are vessels that contain Christ. And the Bible has different kinds of pictures of our union with Christ as earthen vessels, 2 Corinthians 4, 7, as branches of the vine, who is Christ, John 15, that we are in last Adam and that results in life, righteousness, and grace coming to us through that last Adam, Jesus, Romans chapter 5. We are temples of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. We are slaves of righteousness, not of sin, Romans 6, 16 to 23. We are as the wife, Christ is our husband, and we are one with our husband, Romans 7, verse 4. And the Father is in Christ, John 17, 23, and Christ is in us. The hope of glory, Colossians 1, 27, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is in us. Now, I flew through that relatively quickly. That's what we covered in episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4. If you missed any of those, please be sure you go back and hear them. Today, if you've already prayerfully listened to and studied with us during the first four parts of this series, then we have a clearer picture in mind that we don't live for Christ, but Christ biblically is our life, who is in us. And the zenith of the Christ, of Christian living is because of our union, our oneness with Christ, who lives through us as us. So the question may come up at this point, well, how does this union life work? How does this oneness work in my everyday experience? Well, the Bible tells us that that happens living by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. That's the first component. The second component is really what Romans 8 is all about. Living by the Spirit, not living by the flesh. Before we go any further... I'm always mindful of the fact, in fact, I was, after the church service today, there was a uh, brother in the Lord who was talking about struggling with uh, the Bible. And I said, one of the number one reasons why uh, people struggle with the Bible is because they try to understand the Bible with their own human understanding. The Bible is supernatural. It was delivered supernaturally to the writers of the scripture. And so it needs the supernatural intervention of God so that we can see. We need to ask God to open the scripture for us, to open our understanding. I like to use the scriptural example of, you know, you may be in a room that's full of treasures, but if all the lights are out, You're not going to know what's in the room because it's all dark. What we need in that situation is to turn on the light. And when you turn on even one light, you see many things. That is true when it comes to the scripture and understanding the word of God. Let's pray 
Father, we thank you so much that the reality of our life is not because of us and what we do, but rather the reality of our life, Father, is because of you. You are our Father. And Lord, we recognize this very subtle tactic of our enemy, Satan, in keeping us away from you by distracting us with do to be like God. Father, thank you for unfolding this and, and, and giving us a clear understanding. And, and Father, I pray that through the scripture, the word, and your spirit turning on the light, revealing that we would see these things clearer by the spirit. And Father, we pray for our lesson here today. Lord, thank you for the certainty and the clarity of your word. But Lord, again, we refuse to come to the Bible trying to apprehend it, to comprehend it, to understand it through human ability, human wisdom, human knowledge. Because, Lord, how in the world can something or someone very finite and small even begin to trace the infinite? Thank you, Lord, that it's your strong desire that uh, you would turn on the light. I pray you would, Lord, as we learn about living by the Spirit uh, instead of living by the flesh. Lord, give us guidance, give us clarity, give us understanding about this life flowing out of the place and space of our union with you through Christ who is in us, the hope of glory. And we promise to give you the praise and the glory for it alone, for you alone deserve all of the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Back in the beginning of 2014, right at the very beginning of the year, the Lord led me in an odyssey, in a journey. Uh, as I was driving to work, I have a 45-minute drive to work to memorize Romans chapter 8. Now, I was very familiar with Romans chapter 8. Before this, I had read it and enjoyed it and treasured it and studied it so many times. But I'll tell you what, there is something powerful when we take some time to memorize a scripture verse or a passage or a portion of the scripture. Because as you go over it, you begin to notice the nuances of the language and what is being communicated in context. Especially when you memorize a passage of several verses or maybe even a whole chapter. And I'll tell you, I have not been the same Christian ever since. In fact, there's hardly a day that goes by that at some point I don't just recite that entire chapter, not for the purpose of reciting it. I just think, wow, this is this is my birthright as a child of God. It's so awesome. And you know, right out the gate at Romans chapter 8, we come off the struggle verses of Romans chapter 7. And you know, the the struggle verses of Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 24, are really about do, 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 do. You know, this idea of doing to be like God. And it's all a big trap. And uh, I talk about this in much greater depth in a uh, teaching that I have at my Daily in Christ dot org website um, called what the struggle verses of Romans chapter 7 really mean and, and it's powerful stuff 
most Christians are taught by well-meaning pastors that somehow it's normative. Those struggle verses in Romans chapter 7 are normative of the Christian life. That is simply not true because it takes those verses and rips them out of the context of Romans chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, the first 13 verses, and all of chapter Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, listen to this, says this, beginning in verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Do you hear the good news? For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has, past tense, made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. I want to talk for a bit here. And again, that's Romans chapter eight, verses one through four. I want to talk about this living by the spirit versus living by the flesh. And this is in the context of the question being raised that our being, our reality as a Christian is the result of our union with Jesus Christ. And by extension, his union with God the Father and God the Spirit. And people saying, well, then how how does this work in my everyday life? Living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. First of all, remember, if you are born again through the grace of God, and let me just say this, the Bible says that all are dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, lived the perfect life, never failed, never sinned for you. And when he died at a cross that he didn't deserve, taking the punishment he didn't deserve, because we deserve the punishment, we deserve the death, we deserve the condemnation, he took it so you wouldn't. And you receive all the benefit of what he did through the cross, which completely reduced reconciles us with God, brings us into good standing with God. We die together with Christ. And three days later, he rose, we rose again. The result of every person who is in Christ, and we're in Christ not because of what we have done, but because of what God the Father has done. A new creation, we are, as believers, a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Now all things have become new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We, I personally, and every person in Christ, I like to say this personally, I am the union of two, me and the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling inside of us. We are in union together. Have you ever heard of an amalgam? An amalgam is the blending together of two metals. And by that union of the two metals, you end up with a stronger composite. And that's a rough picture. I mean, you may take two metals. They're still uh, unique, even as an amalgam, but they're, they, 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 um, 
bring strength to one another. Now, in a relationship with little old me and in, and in union with the Lord Jesus Christ, who is infinite, the benefit is an infinite sum. Not because I'm so great, but because he's that great. I am the union of two, me and the Lord Jesus Christ dwelling inside of me. Christ is in us. He's in the believer. And Christ is that hope of glory. Well, you might say, but how can this be so? I don't see this in my life. Or maybe you might be saying, yeah, this all sounds good, Mark, but it seems a little theoretical and not very practical. Or maybe you're saying, but I can't see God in my life. My response to that is we are so accustomed to walking by what is seen and not by what is unseen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says this, while we do not look, you know, speaking of those walking by faith, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now notice that the seen things in our lives are temporary, passing away, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now God himself is spirit. And by definition, he's not physical, he's spirit. And so by definition, he is therefore not seen. He is unseen to the human perception. And God in us is in our spirit. When we were born into this world, we were born in a condition of trespasses and sin. We were born in a death condition. Our spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. That's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. But when we're born again by the grace of God, we are born again as a new creation. And the spirit, you know, we have three parts, body, soul, and spirit, the the body is obvious. The soul is our mind, emotion, and will. But the spirit is, is that which we don't see. Our spirit is real. And our spirit, man, is full of God. Very important to understand this. We are so used to ascertaining who we are based on what we can see. We look in a mirror and we can see, oh, my hair is a mess. I need to comb it. Or, you know, we might open our mouth and say, I need to brush my teeth. Or if you're a woman, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, my mascara ran. You know, I got to fix that. We are so used to looking in the mirror and assessing you know, who we are in the physical realm based on what we see. And sometimes that doesn't make us very happy, right? Or we may have a good sense of how we feel. I feel sad today, or I feel excited, or I feel confused, or I feel scared. We are so much in touch with our physical bodily aspect and our soul, but we have very little understanding of our spirits. Our spirit man, who who he is, what he has, uh, is found in the Word of God. And, and, and the Word of God gives definition of who we are. 
in our spirit. And by the way, everywhere where it says in Christ in the New Testament, that speaks of what that spirit man is facing. You see, God is, the spirit man is full of God. One third of us is loaded with God. Well, I heard one, one preacher say, wall to wall, Holy Ghost. <laughs> that is so true. And our body you know, what's really cool is that our body has dignity as believers as well. It is the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Even the temple of old in Jerusalem, uh, in that temple, God was out of sight, hidden, unseen, behind the walls of the temple, high walls. What were they, 30 feet tall? And then he was behind a huge, thick veil, And behind that veil, God's presence was in the most holy place where only one person could go in only one time a year. That was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And within the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. This was a gold-covered chest. And this was known as the place of God's presence. So even... With the temple of old, God was out of sight. He was hidden, not seen. We are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't take an x-ray and see that spirit. You know, you can't do an MRI, but we find out about the reality of that, our spirit, through what the Word says about these things. The, The temple of old, is a type and a shadow of what is in the new covenant and reality today. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is dwelling inside us, in our spirit. And we can't see what is inside us. The only way that we can determine what we're in and what we have as children of God is through the Bible, through the Word of God. And I'm sharing some things right now about the reality of who we really are in union with Christ. And that union is happening again, spirit to spirit. We are one who does not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit, Romans chapter eight, verses one through one and four. What I mean by that is this, the Christian life works as we live and walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. When it says there in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and some versions don't even have the last part of this, but and that's a shame in my opinion, um, where it says, we are those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You notice that it says, who do not walk according to the flesh, uh, but according to the Spirit. It doesn't say that do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Big difference. Who refers to our being. And this is where we as Christians really kind of fall on our face. And that is this. Before we were born again, our spirit was dead in trespasses and sins. So to get along in life, we had to live by the flesh. We had to live by our soul, our mind, emotion, and wills. But we were lacking the most significant thing that makes humanity and human living really possible. Our spirit was dead. That 
part of us that God has designed for him to dwell in was dead in trespasses and sins. But when we're born again, the spirit comes to life and a new order of being happens. The Bible talks about uh, those who are not in Christ, those who are not born again as being in the flesh versus those who are born again, who are in Christ, who are in the spirit. That used to confuse me because I used to think, no, wait a minute, I'm in the flesh. I mean, I've got a body. What this means in, in the Greek construct of in the flesh versus in the spirit is what's called a locative of sphere. It basically refers to the realm of existence. Let me give an example. A fish can live in the realm of water, right? A fish can breathe, can move, can live in the realm of water. What happens when you take a fish out of the water and lay it on the ground? The fish is one who lives in the realm of water and not air. And in very short order, that poor little fish is going to be gasping and eventually will die. That fish cannot live in the realm other than the realm of water, cannot live in the realm of air. Conversely, you and I are creatures of the air. We live in the realm of air. And if we were to go inside the water, down in the water, without any kind of breathing apparatus, what's going to happen? Well, just like the fish on dry land, eventually we're going to die in very short order. Why? Because we're not creatures of the water. We don't live in the realm of water. And just like a fish needs to live by the water, and we who are air dwellers and livers live by the air, that's the difference between a person who is not born again and a person who is born again. A person who is not born again lives and exists in the realm of the flesh based on their human senses, human understanding, human ability, human knowledge, human wisdom. But a person who is born again cannot live by that means. The only way that they can live and survive is living by the Spirit. Here's the thing that happens, unfortunately, a lot in the church. Frequently, what believers are given, those who are spirit dwellers, who live in the realm of the spirit, no longer in the realm of the flesh, we are frequently given fleshly techniques for living. And actually, when we do that, when we try to live this life in the spirit by means of the flesh, we get into a death condition. The Christian life works as we live and walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And Romans 8 is so full of it in the first half of the chapter. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, now think about it, 
when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, I'll tell you what, that was an incredible miracle. I mean, it wasn't just going from death to life. Satan and all of his minions, every demon on earth, Satan himself was holding that body down. He was holding that tomb shut. He did not want Jesus rising from the dead. You can imagine the amazing power that exploded that tomb, blew the... the uh, stone away and the Lord Jesus Christ rose victoriously and it says in Romans chapter or Ephesians chapter 1 not only did he was he raised from the dead he ascended above all principality and power is now seated at the right hand of God the Father that's amazing power isn't it that would do all that you and I would agree that that is the most powerful un powerful force of all in the universe and beyond the universe. Listen to this again in Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, are you connecting the dots? Jesus was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. The Spirit of God burst the bonds of death, burst the bondage of Satan, burst everything of the enemy. The Spirit of God did it and raised Jesus from the dead. Dear friends, believer, born again, saint of God, that same Spirit lives in you. And when it says, if the Spirit of Him, it's it's a... Uh, better translated, since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Did you catch it? He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That is not something you have to get. You don't need a special spiritual experience after being born again to get this spirit in you that has that raising from the dead power. That spirit dwells inside of every believer, every person who is in Christ by God's grace. We live by the spirit and not by means of the flesh. And let me qualify this. The flesh is not anything inherently bad. When the Bible talks about our flesh, it's referring to our humanity. It's human perception, human senses. It's human knowledge, human understanding, human ability. That's our flesh. In other words, we don't live by our humanity. We live by the divinity of Christ in union with us, the spirit inside of us. We live by the spirit and not by or by means of the flesh. Listen to this in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And when it talks about death, I mean, it's the operation of a death principle operating in our bodies. Let me say this. I believe 
that we believers are living in a condition of too much sickness and bodily um really death going on because we're trying to live by the flesh. We're trying to please God by do rather than living by the spirit. Listen to this in verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body. And that's not necessarily referring to bad deeds, just the doings of the body. That's literally what it means. If by the spirit, you put to death the doings of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Read that for yourself when you get a chance. Romans 8 verses 12 to 14. Got to keep moving. Living by the Spirit means living by means of God himself. Living by the Spirit equals living by means of God himself. Remember, God is in us because Christ is in us and we are in God. Why? Because we are in Christ as opposed to walking by the flesh, which is by means of our human perception, human knowledge, human understanding, human wisdom, and human ability. The Bible says in four critical places that the just or the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. That's in Habakkuk 2.4, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38. The just shall live by faith. I get into a whole lot more depth on this subject of the just shall live by faith in my series by that title. It's a 10-part series. You can get it at the Daily in Christ website, dailyinchrist.org. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Walking by the Spirit means we look to the unseen and not to the seen. Remember what it said there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. 1. We don't live by means of ourselves, our trying, our struggling, our striving. We live by means of Christ himself, who is alive and inside of you, believer. Let me say that again. We do not live by means of ourselves, our trying, our striving, our struggling. We live by means of Christ, who is alive and in us. That's why the Bible says Christ in you, the hope of glory. I guarantee if it was just you or just me, there would be no hope except despair and doom and a sense of foreboding failure. But we have Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's great news. We live by means of Christ who is alive in us. You know, God is not interested in you becoming. God is not interested in you becoming. 
believer, who you are is because Christ is. You know, the message of religion is you're not there. You haven't arrived. And, you know, you kind of wonder, well, when are we going to arrive? When are we going to get there? Well, certainly not on this side of eternity. That's a bunch of garbage. It, it's a message, again, of do to become like God. But what is our reality? We are one with Christ. How incomplete is Christ? Not incomplete at all. 100%. Where is he? He is in me. I am in him. Our being is not because of ourselves. It is the result of his being in us. How in the world can we have all of Christ in us, who has all of the Godhead dwelling in him bodily, Colossians 2.9, and yet lack anything? Let me ask that question again. How can we have all of Christ in us, who has all of the Godhead dwelling in him bodily, and yet lack anything? God does not want us trying, struggling, or striving to be like Christ. Not at all. He has given us the Lord Jesus Christ to live in us and through us. We manifest him just like the branches of a fruit tree manifest the fruit of that tree. You know, whenever we see an apple tree and it's got those nice red and luscious apples that are hanging off the branches, we don't take one of those apples and say, yum, a fruit of a branch. No, we say it's the fruit of the tree, right? The branches and the tree are one, but the branches are the fruit bearing part of the tree. Now, what happens when you cut a branch off from a tree? Will it continue to bear apples? No. The branches manifest the life that is in the tree and that brings forth the fruit. We manifest Christ just like the branches of that fruit tree manifest the fruit of that tree. We are not to try to become a better man or better woman. God has already given us the infinitely better man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Boy, somebody needed to hear that today. And I need to say it again. I know I'm repeating myself, but you know what? I think there are things that are coming by here and people are going, huh? What? 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 Whoa, what did you just say? Let me say it again. We are not to try to become a better man. God has already given us the infinitely better man, the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not want us living for him. He desires us to allow Christ to live through us. Man, that's an infinite difference. Christ is our life. When Jesus said that to his disciples, John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Do you know what that means? That means that the way is not an it. The way is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. That means that the truth is not an it. The truth is a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It means that the life is not an it, but a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. And then 
in John chapter 11, before the tomb of dead Lazarus, Jesus says to, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Man, that's what Lazarus needed, right? Lazarus was dead. He needed life. And Martha was looking to Jesus saying, yeah, I I believe in the resurrection. And Jesus says something stunning there in John chapter 11. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And instantly Martha saw, she realized, oh my, I don't, we don't need resurrection as long as he is here. Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. Christ is our life. That's why God is not interested in having you live for him. He desires us to allow Christ to live through us. This is the new me. This is the new you, believer. A humble vessel, honored to carry and manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. I love Galatians 2.20. I call this my life verse. Listen to Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. Stop. What happened to a person who was crucified by the Roman soldiers? That was a mode of execution. There was no other outcome to a person who was crucified except death. And so when it says here in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. Did not Christ die on the cross? Well, guess what? You died with him. Where? 2,000 years ago at Calvary. Galatians 2.20 continues, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Did you hear that? It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And to the question that says, okay, all right, yeah, I I can see that, but how does that work out in my everyday life? Listen, the rest of Galatians 2.20, and the life which I now live in the flesh. And when it says in the flesh, it means in this body, not in the realm of flesh, but in, in, in the body. I live by faith. In the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself for me. And, you know, because I am crucified with Christ, that means that I no longer live. Do you know how freeing that is? (laughs) You might have really messed up your life. But if you're born again in the Lord Jesus Christ, that old messed up you is gone. How? Dead. I am crucified with Christ. Okay, so how does this thing work? Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. Christ lives in me. How does the life work? And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in. And really... Literally, uh, the way that this thing should be translated is in by the faith of the Son of God. Even your faith isn't from you. Your faith is from the Son who lives in you. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me ask you a question. How hard is it to live the Christian life? 
Dear friend, it is impossible to live the Christian life. Only one person has ever lived the Christian life perfectly, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. May I ask you another question? Don't you think he knows how to live this life in and through you? He does. Trust him. That's faith. Remember the great Bible truth, again, repeated in four crucial places in the Bible. The just shall live by faith. Believer, Jesus is in you. The answer is not out there somewhere. I hope I can get it. I hope I can figure out. The answer was given to you right when you were born again and began. Christ is the answer. Not Christ out there, but Christ in you. And so Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things, all things through Christ who strengthens me. I love that. And it says in the scripture that I am strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, according to the riches of his glory. Ephesians chapter three, verse 16. And my reality is this is because he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Ephesians 2.20. And I have, and you have, fellow believer, the same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwelling inside of me. So he who raised Christ from the dead gives life to my mortal body through his spirit who dwells in me. Romans chapter 8 verse 11. And God's power, God's ability is exceedingly great toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 19. And 1 Corinthians 15 says this, but by the grace of God, Paul said this, and by the way, it was in the context of saying, you know what? I am an apostle. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because of the horrible things that I did. I persecuted the church. I tormented people. I led them to their death. But in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. He wasn't speaking of his old order of being as a Pharisee, as a persecutor of Christ, as a killer of Christians, but as the man on the other side of being born again, on the other side of the cross, as a new creation in Christ. He says, brothers and sisters, I am now by the grace of God. I am what I am. You know, there's several places in the beginning of Ephesians is one example, Ephesians 1.1, where he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And he talks about being called. It wasn't because he had the credentials that he did things right. Listen, believer, if God needed qualified people 
in the kingdom of God, none of us would make it. We'd all flunk. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. I like to say he will not fail with me. Here's the rest of 1 Corinthians 15, 10. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Oh, dear believer, I have so much I could say about this union life, and I will be developing a series later on on the believer's union with Christ. We've just begun to open up the subject to you. That series will go into much greater depth about the incredible reality and totality of our union, of our oneness with Christ. So keep checking back with our website at daily in Christ.org. Have you been there to our website, dailyinchrist.org? Yes, we have a website. Many of you are accustomed or have discovered this uh, podcast by way of perhaps the Apple iTunes store, and it's a bit of a surprise that, yes, there is a website. And uh, dailyinchrist.org, all of our audio teachings and articles are there for you to download and to enjoy and to grow. We are here for you. And you know what? That's another expression of Christ in me and as me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. I think about where this series began, looking at a prime number one tactic of Satan to keep us away from God by having us believe the great lie that we become like God based on what we do. In other words, being based on doing. Lord, thank you that you have graciously unfolded this and revealed that tactic of the enemy. And Lord, we realize that that is countered by the reality of the oneness that we have with Jesus Christ. And it's all because of you. Father, I think of what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. Of God are you in Christ, who has been made unto us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, let him who glories glory in the Lord. Mm. Of God, 1 Corinthians 1, 30, we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, for it. And Father, continue by your Holy Spirit to turn the light on, to bring deeper understanding and reality of the totality and the sufficiency of Christ in us. And we promise to give you and you alone the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.